We are continuing on in our study of the life and ministry of, of Jesus. The last several uh, messages have related basically to the time between Jesus publicly came in as Messiah to Jerusalem prior to Passover to his arrest. Each day that he has come, he's gone into Jerusalem, spent time in the temple teaching, observing, uh, showing his disciples various uh, understandings. And then he leaves and spends the evening in Bethany and he comes back to Jerusalem each day. In keeping with that, we see that Jesus has done that again. And in Matthew chapter 24, uh, it's going to say this. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away from his disciples came up to a point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do, not, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now I'm sure this came quite as a shock to his disciples because Herod had spent decades beautifying the temple. It went from being fairly uh, stoic to a beautiful building with, with all the trappings of gold and, and, and other adornments. But also it was made out of stone, which had a sense of permanence. So they're seeing beauty and permanence. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not going to be so uh, permanent. From that, they're going to go on and he says in verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So I want you to see three things that the, that the disciples are asking. They're asking three specific questions. They're asking when will these things happen as far as when's the temple going to be torn down? And then they're going to ask, what's the sign of your coming? And apparently they're starting to get an inkling that Jesus will be leaving. They're quite not understanding how, but they're catching on to the various uh, parables talking about the master leaving and leaving um, value for the, the slaves and then the master returning. So they're kind of grasping the, the concept. And they also are wanting to know, when is this thing going to be over? And when is it that the kingdom will be truly established? And so they have three primary questions. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this passage in them. Uh, the other gospels kind of spend a little more time on the question about the temple, and Matthew is going to spend a lot more time concerning the coming of Jesus and the end of the age. Now, before I go on, I want you to see one thing. I want you to try to take off your predetermined glasses of what the scriptures are. So many people have taught so many different things that when we read the scriptures, we say, aha, well, it means this, or we discount that because it doesn't come in line with our predetermined uh, what it is that we think Jesus ought to be doing or what we've been taught. And so I'm not here to try to convince you that my view of, 
of it is correct. You know, there are those who believe that, that uh, the rapture will come and the church will be gone. And others believe that, no, the rapture isn't coming until after Jesus comes. And so when we read these passages, everybody wants to read them as if it's in context of their doctrinal position. And so I'm not going to try to do that. I'm just going to read what Jesus said that we might understand what Jesus said to take wisdom from what Jesus said and then fit that in to the correct doctrine, not our predetermined doctrine. Now, the interesting thing here is that they've waited until Jesus goes to the Mount of Mount Olivet to ask him the question. So they have left Jerusalem, gone through the Kidron Valley, and gone up to the Mount of Olive, Mount of Olivet. Interesting thing, Jesus, when he entered Jerusalem, came from the Mount Olivet. When Jesus is discussing this, he's at Mount Olivet. The scriptures tell us in the Old Testament that there will be a coming at Mount Olivet. And when Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are standing around gazing to heaven about what's going on, Jesus leaves the earth from Mount Olivet. So it's not a coincidence that he's explaining these things at the precise place where future history, and why I want to say future history, because when Jesus said these things are going to take place, while they are in the future, they will take place as if they had taken place. And so they've asked the three questions, primarily, like I said, the other um, gospels want to talk about the destruction of the temple, which I want to mention briefly. One of the evidences that all the gospels and all of the New Testament was written before the destruction of the temple is because Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple. If they were written before 70 AD, then they would have said, see, see, Jesus was right. He told us back before his crucifixion that the temple would be destroyed. And yet they don't. And so that is an evidence that the New Testament was not written some hundreds of years later, but contemporary with the events. So let's take a look at what Jesus says. And I'm only going to comment on a few things to try to make them maybe a little more understandable and to give you some other scriptures that I won't be using, but I want you to take note of so that you might study because I want you to have the correct doctrine, not my doctrine, not some other teacher that you've heard, but I want you to think about these things. So it says, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. So, Jesus is saying, don't listen to other people. Listen to what I have to say. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And it will in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginnings of birth pangs. Now, one of the difficult, the, the difficult aspect of reading this is 
what Jesus has just said has kind of been common throughout human history. We've always kind of had the use of force by one nation against another nation to conquer it, to subdue it, to gain whatever advantage they might have. So there's always been wars and rumors of wars. And so when we see these various things, it's hard to see that as per se a sign. We've kind of seen uh, famines in various different places, you know, poverty-stricken countries and others. And earthquakes, they seem to be fairly commonplace. And so it's hard to see that as a definitive sign. But what I would like you to take a look at is take a look at the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. When there's an unbreaking of the seals, we're going to see these things. But, and so it's going to bring in much more clear focus that these are just the beginning. It's not, it's happening. It's the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, I have never delivered children. And I praise God for that. But you women who have know that giving birth, unless it's a very quick process of an hour or two, that it hurts a lot, and it is of great pain. My mother had said that, that the pain of childbirth was like no other pain so intense, and yet it was so quickly over when you see the joy of the child. And so Jesus is saying that when these things happen, it's going to hurt, but it's just the beginning. It's the, the initial getting the earth ready for the delivery to come. There's always been people claiming to be the Messiah. There's always people trying to conquer. There's always earthquakes there, but they are going to be in sharper focus when we see these things coming. It says, then they will deliver you over to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Now, there seems to be this discussion in the church that somehow believers are always exempt from tribulation. They were always delivered somehow from persecution. And that is the furthest from the truth. There has never been a time in the history of God's people, that God's people haven't suffered because of following God. The prophets in the Old Testament suffered, were mistreated, and often killed because they followed God's word. Jesus suffered and died and rose again because he did what God's will was. His disciples suffered. As soon as Jesus left and went to heaven, and after Pentecost, Peter and John and others of the disciples were arrested and imprisoned and beaten and told to stay quiet, and they refused to. And instead of saying, poor me, they rejoicing that we were counted worthy to suffer. And yet in today's church, it's like, oh no, the Christian's never going to suffer. The disciples suffered and died. Christians during the first century suffered. They died in the Colosseum. They died on, on crosses. Peter said he wasn't worthy to be crucified as Jesus was, so he was crucified upside down. Paul 
was beheaded. Various people in the first century suffered tribulation. In the second, various other disciples of those disciples suffered, were burned at the stake. You can see in the Fox's Book of Martyrs how so many various different believers suffered for their faith. And so now we're to believe that we're not to suffer for our faith. It has been the one consistent throughout being a disciple of Jesus. But there's going to be something different that Jesus says, that they're going to, this tribulation, they're going to kill you, they're going to hate you, uh, all because of one. And those that you think are your brothers are going to turn you in. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. He's saying, again, that there are those who are going to say that, that I'm the Christ or that I know about the Christ. And throughout, even in American history, you've seen people who have gone to a mountain awaiting for Jesus to return. You've seen people who have killed themselves thinking that a comet will return and pick them up. There are all these false teachings and people seem to fall for them. The best antidote for not following for a false Christ is knowing the words of Jesus. He says people's love will grow cold. So when people hate people, when people are indifferent to people, then their reaction is to not love in return. But we are told that we love because God first loved us. So our love is to be genuine regardless of how we are treated because we love like God loved. God loved unconditionally. God loved the world. And so we, being true believers, need to continue that love even in the face of severe opposition. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, there's a shifting process. There are those who claim to be disciples. But as Jesus talked about in the, uh, the sower, that there are many when difficulties and trials come that the burdens choke out the word and they leave. And that's kind of what's happening here. And so sometimes I can't tell what's in your heart and in your mind. And you can't tell what's in my heart or what's in my mind. And so those who are consistent in God and consistent in the faith will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus has discussed this question saying, okay, now these things are happening, but you know the end is being close when the gospel is preached to the whole world. Now, some people interpret this as, as we preach and as we, for instance, we uh, videotape and we disseminate our messages and our ministries uh, on the web and on various other social platforms. And there are a number of various countries throughout the world who listen and watch. Some of them may watch a little bit. Some of them may watch the entire thing. But we think, well, we're disseminating it to the whole world. And it's important because we've been commanded to make disciples and to declare the kingdom. But again, I think the book of Revelation 
tells us the key to this passage. And then he's going to get even more serious. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get his things out of that are in his house. Whoever is in a field must not turn back to get his cloak. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus gives us a clue. He says, when the abomination happens as prophesied by Daniel. Now, there was during the time of the destruction of the temple that Titus came and destroyed the temple and, and did some things. And there was uh, another Euripides who, who uh, sacrificed a pig in the, on the altar. And so those were, but that was not, while well, those were an abomination of desolation, it was not that spoken of through the prophet Daniel because the, that abomination is to take place in the final week, seven years of this time. So he says, it's going to, the tribulation that's going to happen after that, you're going to be killed, you're going to be um, persecuted, all these things are going to happen. But when you see that, it is going to be severely more difficult. And it's going to be so much so difficult that Jesus says, you need to act so quickly that you need to just forget what you got and go. So even if you're on top of the roof, maybe repairing it, instead of following, getting down and spending the time to get things out of the house, he goes, go. He says, if you're in the field, don't worry about what you got or don't have, go, because it's that significant of a tribulation. And he says, you know, there's a problem if you're pregnant because a pregnant woman uh, the stress of travel and the things happening are going to cause severity for her and those that love her. And yet, he also says, and pray that your flight not be in winter because it's more difficult to travel. And then he says, and not be on a Sabbath. Now, we kind of don't appreciate that. I had a friend who spent a month in Israel and he commented, he said, on the Sabbath, on a Saturday, if you're in a multi-story building that has an elevator, that the, all, the, all the floors of that elevator were pre-programmed, punched in. So that, for instance, if you were on the 12th floor, you had to stop at the 11th, you had to stop at the 10th, you had to stop at the 9th, you had to stop at the 8th, you had to stop at the 7th, had to stop at the six, had to stop at the five, had to stop at the four, had to stop at the three, had to stop at the two, and then he finally got to the ground floor. And so it was so slow just getting out of the building that it creates difficulty. And so Jesus is warning us and he's telling us it is that severe that you can't wait for the elevator to take that much time to be moving down because things are going to be very serious. It says, 
Because why? For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Now, those of you who are familiar with, with history at all know how much suffering and tribulation the church has suffered, how much tribulation the people of God who are the Jews who have suffered. I would say that the, the difference between believers and let's say the Jews is that if you're Jewish, you're Jewish. You can't, you are who you are. But if you're a believer, you can say, I'm not. You can deny the Lord and try to avoid the tribulation. And yet those who endure until the end are the ones who will be saved. So this tribulation apparently is even going to be worse than the Holocaust, going to be worse than those things that we've ever seen, the man's inhumanity to man. And it's going to be directed not at the world, but directed at God's people, those who follow Jesus. And this is how desperate it is. In verse 22, it says, unless those days had been cut short. Notice, unless those days had been cut short. Jesus is telling us and giving us comfort that they've been cut short. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God knows that this tribulation is going to be so serious, so difficult, so horrendous, that even those who have a sincere faith in God could be tempted to deny him because it's that severe. But he gives us warning because there seems to be people always looking for a way out. So he says, then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. I used to say quite regularly that the reason I know that Jesus is the Messiah is that it says that he died according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. And all that is true. But he died, was buried, and rose according to the scriptures, according to the Messiah, the Christ. But the scriptures also tell us that there is an antichrist who will suffer a mortal wound and yet rise again. That's going to be a pretty neat trick. People are going to think, oh, he must be. He's going to demonstrate, and so will the false prophet, many signs and wonders saying, oh my goodness, he must be from God because see all of these signs and wonders. And Jesus is telling us, don't believe them. They're false. Then they say, so they will say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness. Do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. He's saying there is no secret place that you're going to find Jesus. So stop looking because as he's going to say in a few moments, it is going to be abundantly clear through the entire world, his return. So it says, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, 
so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So, Jesus is telling us there's no sense of searching for him as he comes because his appearing will be obvious, as obvious as the lightning. Now, I want you to consider, as we've read this, as it talked about after the desolate, abomination of desolation, I encourage you to also read Second, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I think that will give you additional information about that situation and about his coming. And as I've read these passages, again, it's Jesus telling us, be careful what we hear, what we believe, and where we go. Because there will be those who will seek to deceive us. So the first thing as believers we need to do is test what is spoken of. Test the words. And that's why I'm trying to limit my conversation to what Jesus says, because it's Jesus who knows. Yes, I have my doctrinal positions, and you may have your doctrinal positions, but what is it that Jesus says? And we need to follow that, so that if the events that come may disagree with our doctrinal positions, we don't lose faith in our doctrinal positions because they were wrong. We never lose faith in Jesus who's right. And then I'm going to read a, a verse that I used to be troubled at because I thought it was kind of like a non sequitur. Jesus was telling us, don't be deceived that, that the false Christ will do all kinds of marvelous signs and wonders and will mislead many, that there will be those who hate each other, and that the believers are going to suffer a tribulation that has never happened before or after. And then he says this, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And you go, huh? That seems like a big non sequitur. He's, he's talking about all these things, and now he's talking about birds and a corpse. I encourage you to read Revelation chapter 19 because that tells us that there's going to be an army ready and that the corpses will be there and Jesus will defeat them. So I encourage you to read Revelation chapter 19. Again with 29 of Matthew 24. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, there's great discussion and debate. Is this just um, all uh, symbolism or is it discussing actually the uh, physical heavens, the shaking so that perhaps the, the sun is now so darkened that it's, it's black that it doesn't bear his light, or that the uh, moon will not give his light. Uh, again, 
Revelation fills in some of this information. But I want you to understand if you've ever been simply in a time where there has been smog in your location or that there have been wildfires or forest fires, that the smoke of such will cause the sun to be darkened and even the moon become oranges or whatever. And so even events that happen on the earth can have a consequence on what it appears to be in heaven. But it doesn't say that the sun and moon will not give its light. It says these things will happen. So I tend to think that it's either, first off, that it is a natural consequence that the sun will dim. And because the sun dims, the reflection of the moon is darkened. And the stars will fall. Now, some think that that's meteors. Some say that it may be angels or whatever who have fallen from the estate. Um, And so one views it as allegory and symbolism. One views it as the consequences of the heavens. And the third view it as the consequences of the heavenly places. I'm not here to tell you which of those are. Study God's word and decide for yourself. But it does say the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. So after the tribulation, after these cataclysmic events, after all of this has happened, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So, Jesus is coming, is going to be evident because he's coming from the sky. He's coming as we are told, just as he left the earth and ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olivet, he is going to be descending, as I said, the clouds of the sky. Now, the clouds of the sky may be that we're looking up and it's a cloudy day. Or it may be the clouds of the sky are those who are returning with him and those who are caught up to meet him. And so that there's such a crowd of witnesses. And so when Jesus returns, he's returning not by himself, but he's returning with all of his. And he's returning not like he came the first time to Jerusalem as a suffering servant, as the Messiah on a donkey, mild and meek. This time he's coming with power and great glory. And it says that tribes of the earth will mourn because they will truly see that everything that they've followed, everything that they believed in, everything that they have taught has been wrong and that their power is nothing in comparison to his power. And their glory is nothing to be compared to his glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So it tells us 
that there is a great gathering of his believers that will be done, and he will gather them to himself. This is called the second coming, where he's come to set his kingdom on the earth, that millennial kingdom that will last for a thousand years. And we will see these things. There's great debate among various Christian theologians and ministers and pastors as to rapture, second coming, all these types of things. And that's fine. But the one thing is sure, he's coming again. He's coming again just as he had promised back in the Old Testament. He has promised his disciples, meaning you and me, that he's coming again. And he's coming with power and great glory, which means that there may be great suffering and great tribulation. We, you and me, may not experience this. Jesus may tarry for a little while longer. Or he may come in our lifetimes. Or he may come in our children's lifetimes. Or he may come in our children's children's lifetimes. That is why it is important for you and me to teach our children that Jesus is coming back. To teach them the signs of his return to teach him where the false things are so that they're aware of it, that there will be false signs and wonders so that they're not misinformed, they're not deceived. We are to teach them so that they understand. Because let's face it, those who hate us know how to get to us. I'll give you an example. Americans are known as fairly loyal. And when American soldiers were captured and the enemy would seek information, they would torture our soldiers. And many, if not most, would endure it because they love their country more than the pain of the suffering. So our enemies decided if taking the direct route doesn't work, then they'll do the indirect route. And that indirect route was to threaten and harm your fellow soldier. And that would usually cause Americans to crack because we did not want, our soldiers did not want to be the cause of the pain and suffering of another because of their principles and their belief. We don't have that option. And so one of the things that we must teach our children is that I love you very much. We must teach our grandchildren, I love you more than life itself. But let me make this one thing clear. 
I love God more than you. I love God more than me. And I will not deny him. And so let me apologize to you in advance that if it causes you any pain, but I cannot deny my Lord, whatever the cost. And that's why this discussion of Jesus so scares us because we don't want to go through these things. And Lord knows I don't want to go through these things. And I hope perhaps I don't have to. But the scriptures also tells us how blessed are those who go through the great tribulation that God himself will wipe every tear from their eye. He will comfort them and that they will be in his presence, not just in heaven, but in his presence in the kingdom. The blessings of, of those who go through it are more than those who don't. And so I encourage you, even though that this is a difficult topic, even though it's a scary topic, and even though we don't want to think about it because it is so frightening, and we hope that there is some way out that we don't have to worry about. It is much better, in my opinion, to be prepared and not need it than not to be prepared and need it. So, for instance, if I'm going on a trip to Fresno from here, about a four-hour drive, let's say. I'm going to want to make sure my car has a full tank of gas because if it doesn't, I'll be out of gas before I arrive. And we need, and, and when it comes to those types of physical things, we take preparation. We prepare our houses for things. We prepare lunches for our kids to go to school because we don't want them to be hungry. We're the people who prepare. So my encouragement is for you to be prepared. And you're prepared by knowing the signs of the time, by preparing your faith, by preparing those who are close to you, those that you love that they might understand these. Next time we're going to take a look at Jesus' telling us about parables so that we might be ready and might be observant. You see, Jesus takes, takes it so seriously that not only does he show us what's going to happen, but he tells us to pay attention, to be ready, to be prepared. And that is my desire for you. So I hope that this is not the last time you take a look at this passage. I hope you continue to look at it, to look at the other verses around it, to take a look at the book of Revelation. And if you take a look at Matthew 24 in conjunction with the book of Revelation, I suspect the book of Revelation will not be so mysterious as it was before. So often we tend to rely on what other people think about those types of things. And I encourage you to be a student of the Word of God so that you know, not what Pastor Joe knows, not what Pastor whoever that you came to faith, but that you know 
because you've read the scriptures, you've studied the scriptures, and you're aware of the signs of the time. Our band is going to be coming shortly. And they're going to be leading in a song that says, Even so, come. You see, because we are fully, fully persuaded that even if we're not here, his word says his elect will be here. And that there's going to be a great tribulation. And there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. And the love of many will grow cold and people will betray one another. A society and a place that you really don't want to be a part of. But if all of that is what takes place before Jesus comes, even so, Lord, come. Because we want you to come in power and great glory. Because you are worthy of it and so much more. Amen.